Hi, I'm George Tekmichev. Welcome to Easton Podcast number 159. And uh, before we get started, just a reminder, folks, that if you want to get in on the 100th anniversary Easton book that will be published in the fall of 2022, uh, if you get your name on the list, uh, Easton will have a much better idea of uh, exactly what they're doing in terms of how many they're printing. There's already been a huge response to our uh, call for action on this in the last podcast. So um, get your name on the list by emailing Easton100, E-A-S-T-O-N-100 at EastonMG.com. And that email address is a secure email address. They will not sell or use your information for anything other than letting you know when the book is available. And we'll also be giving away signed copies of the book from Greg Easton on the podcast uh, when it becomes available. So once again, Easton100 at EastonMG.com is the email address to send in your uh, request for uh, getting on the list for that limited edition 100th anniversary book full of stories and photos and all sorts of things, not just about Easton, but about Olympic archery and many other archery related subjects, as well as some insider stories on other things the Easton Company has done over the years. All right, with that out of the way, I would like to welcome the Secretary General of World Archery, Mr. Tom Dillon, who's had a very busy week already. Tom, thanks for joining us from Lausanne, Switzerland. Pleasure, George, as always. Well, we talked recently uh, in, in our podcast just before the last one about a number of things, and one of them was the 30-second rule that everybody and their mother seems to be a little bit concerned about, and some action has been uh, reached regarding uh, that rule, but a lot of other news coming out of the executive board meeting at the World Archery Excellence Center uh, with a few of the members of the board meeting remotely um, for that end-of-year meeting, a lot of important stuff, um, and we'll get to things like the 30-second rule coming up, but in my mind, the big news is the location for the World Archery Championships. Uh, it's going to be Korea in 2025, and that's big news. Absolutely. And okay, we have two valid candidates, uh, I would say very good candidatures, uh, both Madrid and, and Guangzhou. Uh, and okay, uh, uh, Guangzhou got a clear, I would say, uh, a designation by the board. Uh, it was 10 to 1 vote. So, uh, of course, the uh, Korean vice president uh, was not present during that discussion, and we had uh, one vice president absent, so that's why there's 11 votes and not 13 votes. But it was uh, very clear uh, in the outcome, and uh, and it's it's time we go back to Korea. We haven't been in Korea since uh, Ulsan 2009, and uh, and so uh, we're really looking forward to going back. And it's Guangzhou is a, you could say the the center of, of Korean excellence because, uh, well, the triple gold medalist uh, from Tokyo is from there. We have several other of the top Koreans that are from that uh, region. So, uh, yeah, it's uh, we very much look forward to Guangzhou. And, and, and for the ones that can't wait to 2025, well, we're already going there in 2022 with a World Cup stage because, unfortunately, Shanghai for... Uh, obvious uh, COVID uh, travel restrictions could not uh, be hosted once more. And uh, luckily, the 
the the Chinese uh, Archery Association and Shanghai Organizing Committee uh, made a decision on time for us to 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 have a a, a very good replacement uh, for next year, and uh, we we will go back to Shanghai. I want to be very clear on that. But uh, for 2022, we will have Guangzhou replacing them as such. That's great news. I think that uh, you know one of my favorite of all the World Archery Championships that I have been able to participate in as a staff for WA, certainly Ulsan stands out as one of the uh, smoothest and best events. And so I expect the organizers will do a great job in Guangzhou in uh, 2025. Seems like a long way away, but it's really not. Um, you know, day after tomorrow. <laughs> yeah, uh, but, and also, but it'll be a I great warm up. It'll be a great warm up to have a World Cup there next year. Yeah, and it's a, it's a little bit similar. We have the same in Ulsan. Uh, actually, I remember that one very well because I, as we are speaking, it's uh, Amatabor Archery Excellence Center, and it has been snowing here most of the day. And and in Ulsan, when we had the World Cup stage there, we had snow, and there were people like Jorge Jimenez from El Salvador that discovered for the first time in their life snow. So uh, it, 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 I would say, I'm not saying in May it will snow in Guangzhou, let's be clear, but uh, we, we've had that experience in Ulsan, I think it was in April. Yeah. And in fact, uh, you know, the, the general organizing effort from Korea is always first rate. So I think that we will see a, a great event there. Not to say that, uh, I mean, Shanghai has had such an illustrious um, history of World Cup events over the years. Uh, they were one of the very first World Cup stages, and they they were there for at least a 10-year streak minimum. Um, and I think that uh, it's good news that, you know, Shanghai will eventually return to the calendar. But for now, something to really look forward to will be archery in Korea uh, in 2022 as one of the stages, the Asian stage of the Hyundai Archery World Cup. And also no, other, another important bit of news is Winnipeg, Canada, will be the host for the 2025 World Archery Youth Championship. That's also uh, very nice to see that uh, that'll be coming back to the North American continent. Uh, the last time it was here in the U.S. was uh, at Yankton. And uh, so it'll be Winnipeg, Canada, as the 2025 World Archery Youth Championship has been awarded. Yes, this is that a, one, I think it's, uh, it's, it's very uh, important to mention that this is, I would say, a, a, a first of, of many events that uh, the Canadians want to host. I think uh, Canada is a sporting hosting nation, but in archery, uh, we, we really had challenges to, to do events, but there's now really a commitment from the Canadian Archery Federation to really go ahead and organize events uh, in Canada, which is great news for, I would say, uh, everyone in the Americas, because uh, competing in the same time zone without having to uh, have uh, time uh, time differences and jet lag and so is, of course, good news for all of the Americans. Uh, and uh, um, Winnipeg will do a great job. Winnipeg has a great tradition organizing events. And uh, I'm sure we will have a, a very successful uh, uh, world championships for 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 the the younger archers. Yeah, the last time I was at a, a major WA event in Canada was all the way back in 1997. So it's uh, it's been a while, and it'll be nice to see uh, a big event in Canada once again. Now, there's some other news which is interesting, um, which actually before people get 
all up in arms about this does not actually affect everybody listening, but I think it's a very interesting development. And that is the, as WA continues to try to professionalize events, there is going to be a new program for athletes competing at tournaments with world ranking status, which provides some important um, considerations, especially in these times. Uh, there will be a license that will be required for athletes competing in international uh, WA ranking events, um, which will be providing comprehensive medical and travel insurance. But, um, you know, that's something that has been a long time coming, I understand. And I think that uh, now it's here. Let's talk about what it means from the standpoint of participants in events, Tom. Well, what, what, what it means is, 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 is more or less what you always say. First of all, I, I, the, the idea uh, and the decision on, on the matter is not new. Uh, the actual decision was taken in 2017 at the 2017 Congress. It was a Congress decision. Uh, and uh, that was for athletes. And in 2019, it was expanded to all team officials uh, as such. And it, it is, it's really about uh, making sure that everyone is covered and there is no very bad surprises. Uh, we've had over the years some bad surprises. Under our rules, uh, each member association has to guarantee that everyone registered for an event is covered with a, a medical insurance. But unfortunately, the reality has shown that this is not the case. Uh, and uh, so we, we, the reason why it took from 2017 till now was to be, we couldn't find a, a good insurance uh, scheme to cover it. Uh, and uh, we've been really looking around. And also we didn't want to make this a huge burden for national federations in terms of administration, in terms of sharing data with us and so on. So the, we've now uh, come to a position where we can have a simple system where basically an athlete that will register for the first event he will participate in the year will automatically get that license. And then at the end of the year, we will invoice the National Federation together with the membership, with the tournaments and so on. So from an administration point of view, it will be a very simple system. We uh, the the details of what is exactly covered and so on will be made uh, available uh, to our member associations in a conference call next week. Uh, but the other thing is that uh, it it really will cover uh, things also related to, for instance, lost luggage. Uh, it will. Uh, we even have some provision for matters related to quarantine with COVID. Not. We won't be able to cover loss of uh, of em employment or any salaries or something like that, but we'll be able to cover some, uh, I would say, quarantine costs and so on. So I think it, it we understand that this is uh, a cost people might not have counted for, but if you look at, I would say, the actual cost and what you get in return, and uh, I would say the reassurance you can travel, especially with these days, I think it is a, a major step forward. Uh, the other thing that I want to be clear is that one of the things is that we've been able with some other, uh, I would say decisions like the World Cup format uh, and um, and some of the, the rule changes that have been made, we can now guarantee that we have one less day in the schedule of each 
World Cup. And that cost of one day by far outweighs the cost of this license. And just to be clear, <clears throat> this is not something that's going to be charged to individual athletes. It's it's uh, it something be between WA and the Federation. It will be charged to the National Federation. Now, of course, we cannot guarantee that a National Federation might not charge it to the athlete concerned. That is, I think, sure. an internal matter uh, at national level. Uh, for sure, in, in, in a large majority of countries, it will be uh, the National Federation picking up the bill, but there might be some countries where it will be uh, asked to the individual archery, yes. Yes, and it's 100 Swiss francs per year. Um, so yes. that's it works out to about $100. And, uh, it's uh, uh, four or five or something like that. At the moment, yeah, yeah. And, you know, you're talking about comprehensive medical and travel insurance. I, You know, Tom, without telling too much inside baseball, you and I are both aware of a couple of incidents where federations had to pay twenty to forty thousand dollars. I'm I'm even uh, aware of a case where there was two hundred thousand dollars. Where there was an injury, for example, uh, off off site, off venue, um, someone broken uh, broke a leg or broke an ankle. That was a very expensive bill because they weren't covered by insurance. Yeah. Uh, there have been other incidents. There, you know, I've I've unfortunately I've been present for some some things where you've been um, where someone was taken ill um and that can be an extremely as you point out two hundred thousand dollars it can be very expensive if yeah. you don't have the right coverage uh and you're in a country where somebody might have to be flown out or put in a hospital for a long term um things happen and we're not just talking about things at events i mean all these things most of the ones i'm aware of were you know uh things that happened off-site and uh you can't count on um, luck, right? I mean, that's really no, fundamentally it's, it's what it comes really down to. It's a protection for the athlete as such. It's a protection for the National Federation and it's a protection for the organizer of the event because uh, often uh, the first one uh, they, they, people try to get the money from in such a case is the organizer of the event, but he's not responsible for it. But sometimes the organizer has... Uh, participated in some of those costs, but that's not fair to the organizer either. So uh, it's, it's, it is really a question of reducing risks. And especially in these days, this is what we have to do, all of us. And, and I also want to be very clear, and that, that was my clear message to the board as well. This is not a thing where we want to get more revenue. It, it's a question of making sure that our athletes and people participating in events are covered and that there is no bad surprises. Yeah, and and that's uh, positive overall. Um, in the case of other things that go along with this sort of thing, um, there's a number of uh, things that WA is trying to do to make sure that, as you pointed out, for example, it's really good news that Shanghai did what it did in terms of a decision at this time, because it allows for the calendar to be properly organized. One of the other things is that... Um, there's now a new late fee for any applications after the six month deadline for an event to encourage proper planning of the calendar. Um, and you've already got a, a sort of a block system in place in the, in the calendar. You've had it for a couple of years now. And this provides for a number of improvements from the standpoint, hopefully, of uh, people being able to set up their trip schedules further in advance without, without any you know, big surprises. 
Yeah, and and also I would say, uh, and and that was also the the the, the message I gave to the board is that um, we 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 I would say have a penalty fee if a national federation registers an athlete too late, uh, but the organizers could uh, come at the last moment when there was also a deadline for organizers, and and this is uh, where it was necessary to be clear on it that there needed to be there is that deadline people are aware of it it's not new it's been in the rule book for years but we never really we always ah oh, yeah okay we don't want to limit the number of, uh, of of events and so on and now they will be thinking twice before uh sending the form too late another change it doesn't look like a big one but it actually will have some impact in a positive way and that is that mandatory equipment inspection has been removed from World Cup stages. And you'll have a single combined practice session. Now, I presume that that's part of the reason why you're able to take a full day out of World Cup stages in the uh, upcoming season. Yes, exactly. And, and this is something that uh, uh, we uh, we have worked a lot with uh, the, on the program, on the schedule of the events with the coaches and the athletes committee to make sure that they are in agreement with it. And and and. Uh, I think we will go, uh, th there's been some suggestions that we should go to a Formula One approach where basically at the end of the tournament, you put uh, the equipment in an area and then it gets checked. And if something is illegal, then that person gets gets uh, disqualified. That's maybe an approach we'll end up one day, uh, but now it's it's really, uh, and, and it's, it's, in a certain sense, it's always been the spirit of the rules as well is that Every athlete can go in and get his equipment checked, but it's no longer a mandatory thing. It's a service that is provided to the athletes rather than an obligation as such. Now, yeah. you know, there will be some challenges, but uh, we'll see how it goes. And you'll do some spot checks, I presume. I, Absolutely. I think that, yeah. Absolutely. And that's not new either. Yeah, true. Uh, it's always been the case that a judge could do a spot check at any time if there was a concern or, um, you know, somebody raised an issue. And I think that... Uh, you know, athletes generally, uh, you know, I, I haven't seen somebody deliberately try to get around the rules in decades. So we'll, you know, I think that it, it's a common sense thing to um, increase the speed of the event and to decrease the uh, effort on the part of the judges who are busy doing other things during that event as well. Um, equipment failure stoppages. That is a thing that has been removed. Can you give us an explanation on that new bylaw? Well, it's it's something that okay. Um, I first of all, the the number of equipment failures has gone down dramatically in events. That's one thing. Uh, the second, we've already had no equipment failure in, in elimination rounds anyway. Exactly, and, and this is and, and this is exactly the reason as well. Uh, why? Why? Uh, and, and, and an argument that was definitely used in in in, in the process uh, is that when, when it really matters, you don't have the luxury. So why should it be a an option during qualification round? Now, the the athletes committee supported this this change, and, uh, but they also said, okay, we need to make sure that then there is enough space available for a second bow or for the spare equipment uh, to be available and so on. So this is something that we will of course uh, look into but uh and, and and we understand that there could be reasons that someone doesn't have a stick and bow and so on but on the other hand uh, come on the, the bows are good enough if they're properly maintained uh they're properly checked when you have done a trip 
it's rare that something really goes uh, wrong uh, as such. And uh, for uh, for the compounds, maybe they will change their D loop a little bit quicker. Uh, uh, the NOx will be checked a little bit better. Uh, I, the, the arrow rest will be checked. Uh, um, I I think it's a question of getting used to it. But I, I we we had a, a feedback from the judge committee as well is that there is a very rare uh, situation. So you could argue both ways. If it's so rare, why do it anyway? Uh, but um, uh, when there is an equipment failure, then it definitely slows down the competition. I can't think of too many other sports where equipment failure is still something as a as an element of the game. And I think that that, again, is a common sense thing to do. Um, you don't want, especially now, an unanticipated 15 minute potential delay because a guy broke his D loop, you know? Yeah. Okay. Um, one more thing, and that is that the maximum number of international judges has now been increased. And to be honest with you, Tom, I didn't realize that there was a cap on the number of judges. What was it before? Before it was 70, now it's 80, so it's 10 more, but we also gave a clear message that uh, the judge committee can increase, but that increase should lead to uh, an average age that is younger and a better gender balance between men and women as well. So um, we, we really gave that clear message to the judge committee and Yes, there is a maximum because we, we want to make sure that uh, there is enough chance for an international judge to actually officiate on an international event. And if there were too many judges, then they would never be, I would say, able to do it. And if you are not practicing judging, it's like if you don't practice archery, the results are not the same. Yeah, no argument there. So uh, the potential is there for up to 80 judges now to be certified as international judges. Of course, uh, you know, below that there's continental judges and, and national judges. Um, but it gives people um, another shot at getting to the top of the uh, judging aspect of our sport. Uh, one more step, perhaps, Tom, in the future to the continued professionalization in that area as well, is it not? Absolutely, that's that is still definitely on the table. Uh, I'm afraid that that this this is a little bit slowed down by COVID as well. Uh, sure. But for sure, we will get uh, at least in the first step to a professional chair, and, and probably deputy chair, and then in the second step, uh, more and more professional judges. Yes. Now there was perhaps one of the longer discussions was on the implications of the new timing, which had been accepted as a bylaw by the board during its meeting after Congress um, and its application at, uh, at tournaments. Um, any WA registered tournament would have to go to a 30 second timing for um, events starting in 2022. Now my understanding is Tom, that there's been a little bit of wiggle room built in and it is specifically being called out as being applicable to world ranking events. Correct me if that is an incorrect um, interpretation of what I'm seeing. Yes, and there's, there's, I would say there's two parts of the decision. The first is that uh, there is a clear decision that so for world ranking events, the new rule applies. Uh, for world ranking para events, the new rule applies as well. Um, and so where it's, basically, where it's 40 seconds, where it's 40 seconds. Yes. Yeah. Uh, and, um, if, uh, we also now got confirmation that for instance, because that was 
something that was not 100% clear for, for certain people is that for, for instance, the uh, Pan American Youth Championships and Master Championships that will be held next year, it will also apply. So basically, the, the top level competitions will have this rule in place. Got it. Um, now, we said, okay, we see that there is a certain resistance to have it applicable to other events, especially national events, events where there is a combination of uh, para-archers and others. And, uh, and and we understand, and we, and, and we, we are, we are uh, I would say, uh, we, we understood this from the start that this could be a challenge, but okay, the decision was taken based, and I repeat what I said last time as well, based on a clear direction from Congress, and also based on a, a proposal. The proposal is coming from one of our committees. It was supported by other committees. Uh, and the, the, the best way to, to, to see why we want to do this is, uh, for instance, the Athletes Committee made it clear that they, have, uh, they want to see if it works or not. And, and I think this is what we are doing. We are seeing if it works or not at international level during next year. At the same time, we took another decision, which will not be in the rules as well, but as such, but it's something we've given a mission to both target committee and our constitution and rules committee to clarify what is to be understood and to put clear criteria of a rule that is there since as long as I know the rule book exists, that the time can be ex extended in extraordinary circumstances. Yes. And that that's... rule... That rule has been there and has been applied, for instance, at the World uh, Championships in Bellic some years ago, where there was so much wind that it was very difficult to shoot all the arrows in the time that was foreseen. Yes. And uh, so there is a there is a, a, a mission given to those two committees to come up with criteria. Now, I'm not anticipating the outcome of it, but for sure it will have a clause on what to do with certain windy conditions. That's one. Another one that I think could enter in those criteria is one of the things that have been highlighted by some national federations is what do you do if at national level you have para-archers having a competition at the same time as other archers? So this is another one where we will look into if this is a valid criteria or not. So by the time we get to the end of this year, we will have had, first of all, feedback is it really making that much difference or is it acceptable at international level? And second, what are the criteria that we can put in place for those extraordinary circumstances so that people can shoot uh, at uh, uh, 40 seconds instead of 30 seconds? Now, to, to, to see it in, a, in, 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 a, in something that is similar to, to other things we have in the rules is that we see it like uh, an indoor organizer. An indoor organizer can decide, oh, in my tournament next week, I only have three spot vertical faces, uh, or I can uh, only have 40 centimeter faces, or I can offer the choice to the archer to choose if he wants a 40 centimeter or a three spot face. And I think it's the same uh, thinking that we would come up with uh, those extraordinary circumstances where an organizer in advance, not on the day of, of the competition, could say, okay, my tournament will be shot with 40 seconds per arrow or 30 seconds per arrow. Uh, 
So this is the the thinking that uh, that that has been discussed and agreed by the executive board. So we're not going back on the decision. We will implement the decision at the highest level, and we will see where it goes. If at the end of the season we we see it was a bad decision, it's it just takes a decision of the board to put it back to where we were. If as we think it is showing that it's the right way forward, we will have the criteria to accommodate for the people that would like to shoot differently. And I think in this way, we get the best of both worlds. Uh, and uh, we, we have a solution that, that is workable and that uh, is, is uh, I would say, uh, taking away some of the, the, the feedback we had as such. Now, uh, the first question I had already since we started uh, informing people is, but what if we absolutely want to shoot 30 seconds as well at the national level? Well, at the moment, the rules says you have to do the 40 seconds. So maybe maybe we'll have the opposite discussion next time than we have now. All right. I think that clarifies it. I think that we're going to look forward to seeing what kind of events um, are affected, if if any. Uh, you know, obviously, uh, something like a Bellic situation or I recall, you know, 2007 in Germany, um, you know, when, when the weather becomes part of the story in a very big way, uh, all bets are off. I mean, the DOS and the chairman of judges can make safety-based decisions that and I, this doesn't take that away, right? I mean, they can still do no, no. what's necessary. No, this, to make this, this rule is still there and can still be applied at world ranking events, at any other event. And it's not just a question of bringing from 30 to 40 seconds. They might even put it at one minute at that time. Sure. Depending on, on the uh, consensus of the DOS and the chairman of judges and, and you know everybody who's involved. And we've seen that, as you pointed out, in the past. So... Um, a certain amount of flexibility is built into this. Just to clarify, para world ranking events don't change. They stay at 40 oh, seconds. Exactly. Well, Tom, I I, uh, I think that that covers those things from the board meeting pretty well. Are there other things that we missed that uh, you feel bear discussion? Okay, so one of the other things that, that we did was uh, doing re uh, showing the reports we received on uh, the media coverage of, of both Olympic Games, uh, World Cup, and World Championships. And uh, before we got the numbers, um, I must say personally, I was I was a little bit scared to get the numbers on our World Cup and, and World Championships because one of the key countries, key territories uh, that that we have in, in media reporting is China, and China not participating in, in any of the events except the Olympics. We were expecting that, therefore, it would have a negative impact on our numbers for the year. Yeah, and we are yeah. very happy to, to see that uh, the numbers both for World Cup and World Championships were better than the ones in 2019, showing the progress we have made. So if, if we can add in 2022 Chinese participation, for instance, in Korea and, and some other events, uh, we will definitely uh, increase dramatically uh, what what we have as numbers. And and I would say this then led to, to looking at the numbers of Tokyo and we have... Uh, and that's really been the, the, the cherry on the cake in the sense that um, 
some people that look at those numbers says, oh, but you actually was lucky because you're in the right time zone and uh, Asia did really well. And then, but if we put the two together, we see that actually really made a huge progress in, in TV viewership. Um, I give one number to, I, I, I give two numbers. One number is uh, the total number of people that watched RC was 333 million, which is a huge number. Uh, yes. The other thing, uh, number I can give is that, for instance, in Korea, 57% of the population watched archery. Imagine, 57%. This is huge. Um, Just to put that in perspective, that's a bigger per capita viewership of archery than the U.S. Super Bowl gets here in the United States. Yeah. So that's a significant, uh, I mean, everybody in Korea knows who Ansan is. That's for sure. Oh, absolutely. So uh, it's it's it, this is this is showing I would say the the great numbers we we have both from from Tokyo and from our own events and, and showing the work we're doing and okay uh, we we have made some changes in the way we produce we 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 have some uh, made some changes in how we we comment and how we uh, show highlights and do news production but it's working and uh, uh, we really now have to capitalize on on those numbers to to get more revenues in sponsorship, more uh, revenues in, in TV rights. And, uh, well, I must say, uh, uh, having the events uh, in Korea for sure uh, will help. No doubt. And it continues to be the case, Tom, that we are seeing uh, more participation from smaller countries. So that also has a positive impact. Uh, you know, obviously the, the big viewership countries, the France's, the US, the England's, the Australia's, you know, all of these are, are big, but, you know, when you count China and you have China coming back in potentially um, for viewership numbers, it's only going up from here. And that's a really great thing. It's also, to be honest, I think, um, part of the reflection of some of the viewership habits and how they've changed during the time that we are in right now. Because as you pointed out uh, more than a year ago, um, broadcasters want content and content like archery being made much more uh, easily available, easy to follow on TV. It has had a very positive impact, I think, in that area as well. Yeah, and, and the other thing is that uh, the other clear shift that we have seen, and this is I think the IOC actually published something a few minutes ago on, on the, the viewership of, of, of the Olympic Games, but uh, the... Uh, the other thing that is very clear is that there is a clear shift from what is called linear television to digital television and, and to OTT platform yeah. forms, as they call on, it, on-demand kind of stuff, right? Exactly, and and this is a clear shift, and 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 Archery is doing well on those as well. And uh, well, one of the other figures that we are very happy with, which we got from the IOC, is in terms of social media. So one of the 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 figures they gave us was the performance of the social media of the federations. And they looked at uh, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and YouTube. And for each of the criteria, they show the minimum federation, the maximum federation, and the median federation, and then the information for the sport as such. And for the first time that I'm aware of, we have been able to be the maximum. And so our YouTube channel was the most 
shared and viewed channel, uh, shown channel, I sorry, viewed channel uh, of the Olympic Games. Wow! So this is amazing, and it's one more one more thing that brings archery to the forefront of IOC attention, which is a positive thing for our sport as we continue to uh, be in that tighter orbit of, uh, you know, the sports that uh, aren't threatened with being expelled every four years. That's a very positive thing. I can tell you based on the numbers and I've seen numbers from seven other sports and some of them should be seen as bigger sports than ours. uh, There is absolutely no threat. Yeah. So you're, you know, continuing to make progress there. And, and, you know, it's noteworthy perhaps that, uh, just like with uh, what we talked about with television, China didn't count for those numbers um, because most of those media organs that you described aren't available in China. Now, I presume that some internal Chinese social media stuff uh, had archery content, but it doesn't get the visibility that um, you know we get here in the West with Facebook and uh, Instagram. Uh, in particular, Twitter as well. One, one, one. Uh, I would say one last thing, and that's uh, I would say uh, for the ones that are following from uh, from Japan, perhaps interesting news is that we we have uh, I would say uh, reversed the couple of people involved in the Olympic Games. So we have Sebastian Flute, who is the sports manager for the Paris 2024 Games, and we have nominated Yuko Okura as the IF delegate or technical delegate, as it used to be called. For uh, for Paris, so we, the winning team continues to run the Olympic Games uh, next time. Sounds like it, because we had Sebastian as the technical delegate and uh, Miss Okura for the purpose of running the thing, and now it's uh, reversing roles, and and they've been a great team. So that'll that's good news for everybody involved. Shifting gears just a little bit, Tom. Um, compound archery has made some interesting shifts in the past few months. We have seen a story from Chris Wells on the WA website, worldarchery.sport, making it very clear that we are seeing a surge of compound, both participation and talent coming out of Asia. And uh, when you're seeing world games slots collected by Korea and India for both the men and the women, and with both countries having won spots at the world championships, um, I'm seeing some positive motion here in terms of compound getting both gender equity, equality, and also higher level of performance, particularly coming out of Korea. Uh, I'm impressed. Well, yes, I would say uh, at the same time, we've also seen some fantastic scores at the Pan American Youth Games uh, where uh, uh, a young social 717 uh so it's I think it's it's definitely we're seeing uh, a growth uh, and a more diverse uh, top uh, level performance in compound archery and this is what what we need. Um, we we are not yet at the level I think we should be, but it's going the right direction, and uh, and, and and I would say uh, uh, we we really hope that this trend can continue with successful World Games uh, in Birmingham, Alabama next year. Uh, and then successful Asian Games next year with compound. For the first time in the Asian Games next year, five compound medal events. So both individual men, women, team, men and women and mixed team. 
So five medal events, and that will really push the Asian countries, the Asian NOCs uh, up because five medals, that starts having an impact on the medal table. And that's what it's all about in those games. Yes. And mixed team is uh, just as it has been in, in Tokyo. Um, one of those things that can elevate a smaller country that can't necessarily field a full team to the top of the podium. Um, it is absolutely a huge impact from the standpoint of some of these smaller countries participating. And now they have a real incentive to continue their compound development as they have been over the years with Recurve. But yeah, that's a significant uh, development with Korea having a fully qualified team for Birmingham, Alabama, the World Games. And uh, we'll want to take some time uh, in the next few weeks, Tom, to talk about that particular event. It's a huge event, a very important one, and it's here in the United States. And uh, I think it's a huge opportunity, once again, for people in the U.S. to see archery at its highest level. It's got field archery in there as well, uh, target archery for the compounds, field archery for the recurves and the bare bows too. So some very good opportunities coming up for archery here on the North American continent. Great news from Canada, great news uh, going into Birmingham, Alabama for the World Games. And uh, I expect that we will continue to follow that very closely as those events are coming around the corner not long from now. And tickets are available on the website of Birmingham, uh, the World Games. So uh, don't wait too long because the capacity is not that that big. So go and, and if you want to see it, uh, go and buy the tickets because they will be sold out before we know it. Yes, Birmingham is not just archery. Let me make that clear. It's the World Games. It's a multi-sport event. It's the second biggest multi-sport event, if I'm not mistaken, still is, uh, outside of the Olympic Games. And, um, you know, I, I was able to participate in that in, in 2005. It's, it's a lot like going to an Olympic Games um, in a lot of ways. Recurve, compound, and bare bow will be there, but so will lots of other sports. And, uh, you know, it's, it's kind of the testing ground for sports that want to make it onto the Olympic calendar but there are a number of Olympic sports in there as well. And um, it is the finest athletes from most of the major countries around the world. And uh, that event is taking place in Birmingham, Alabama. Uh, TheWorldGames2021.com. TheWorldGames2021.com website for the World Games 2021. And as Tom mentioned, tickets are available uh, and they will go quick for the World Games in Birmingham, Alabama here in the USA. Well, Tom, that's uh, that's a lot of stuff to digest out of that meeting that was uh, held. I know you're still doing a lot of work to try to uh, catch up with everything after that lengthy discussion. Um, Greg's over his jet lag, so. <laughs> well, Greg followed it from uh, from home, so. Yeah, but he had to start at like 1.45 a.m., so. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> we, we had a little discussion after the meeting and, uh, so okay. you know, it was it was a little bit like jet lag without the uh, yeah without without getting in a plane yes yeah without the dehydration uh, is what I was thinking yeah. of good stuff and Tom I just want to wish you and Natalie in particular the finest of holidays coming up uh, with with Christmas and the New Year uh, yes when does the office shut down uh, <laughs> uh, the office will start shutting down end of next week uh, but uh, I also have to run a Wallachie Excellence Center that will close the next week. So, uh, so I, basically, I, you don't get much of a break. <laughs> not really, no. But at least I was able to close the center down between Christmas and New Year. So that period definitely will be off. 
All right. <laughs> well, that's that's good news. Anyway, Tom, I want to thank you once again for joining us on the podcast. Okay. And, and we'll talk to you again soon because uh, there's there's more to talk about and more developments with WA and more news coming up soon. So we'll look forward to it. Yes. Thank you very much, George. And all the best to you as well. And listeners, once again, this reminder, Easton is developing a limited edition 100-year anniversary book with photos, insider stories, and the definitive company history. The book will be released in the fall of 2022. So if you want to get in on the list for reservations, email your name and contact to Easton100, E-A-S-T-O-N-100, at EastonMG.com right now. Thanks for joining us on the podcast. We'll see you again soon.